Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation on Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and the regular podcast host Dan is with us today but has moved back to his original position of I don't know what I'd call call this Dan. I mean you called it a co-host last week which is brave. Um, <laughs> but you know welcome welcome back to your usual, usual position. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad to be back in in this usual position. To be fair, glad to hear it. Uh, also joining us this week is Micah Chudley, um, otherwise known as the cause of many technical problems. Um, That's what I'm good for. <laughs> I think I've asked you this question twice already today, on separate recordings that will never come to light. But we hope. Um, <laughs> How was your experience of hosting this podcast a couple of weeks ago? Um, well, um, yeah, I did lose half the recording, so not and particularly the, great, I would have said. And then you did what? You then went and found that recording. I found it just last week, actually. So a bit of an RGN collector's item, 17 minutes of a, of a podcast, if anybody's interested in that. Again, like the other two starts of this podcast, will never be heard by anyone else. Um, so, uh, as per usual, quite a bit uh, to chat about today with two games to preview coming over the next week. But first, let's look back at the match against Rotherham last Saturday. Um, team news for this game, just the one change, which was Willock for Dizel. Um did you two manage to make it to the game? Uh, uh, yeah. I did not. Right then, Dan, you can give us your thoughts. I mean, I mean, going from the lineup, I was really, really happy with it. I thought it was the best possible lineup we could have had. Um, it was a four-two-three-one in the end. Chair Willett Roberts, I think, on paper, albeit it was their first time together. I think that's a very exciting and very fun um, front three behind the striker. Um, I mean, look, we played we played quite well in, in the majority of the game, and the the story of our season really has not been putting the ball in the back of the net as much as we can. So yeah, that was really the uh, the main issue, and uh, conceding off a set piece, which is Rotherham's bread and butter. Um, that's pretty much how I describe it generally. Micah, would you echo Dan's thoughts? Yeah, pretty much the same. You know, I, I felt as though um, we'd done more than enough to win the game. Um, probably three times. Um, the, the goal's a bit, I say it's a bit soft. The goal's very soft. It's a really disappointing one to concede. It looks as though um, we're still a bit of a soft touch in terms of defending the pieces, which uh, which is definitely a concern, um, especially this early into the season. Um, and yeah, down the other end, it's just the, the same old story as Blackpool on Tuesday night, really. Just can't seem to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, that kind of um, that kind of sums it up really. So, I've, it it was it was better than Tuesday night, but it's still obviously not brilliant. And um, <clears throat> whilst Tuesday was incredibly disappointing, I think if you look at the way we played on Saturday, that's some. I don't know. I'm always more optimistic than pessimistic, so I'm looking at that and thinking that that's kind of hopefully closer to the end product um you mm. know it, it feels a million years ago that we were beating Middlesbrough 
Um, just the nature of the beast that is Queen's Park Rangers, I guess, isn't it? You know, one week we're quite good, one week our goalkeeper scores, and then the next week it's, you know, we're getting relegated. Um, so it, it's it's difficult to say. It's still so early, and like we've said already, Bill still hasn't had his best 11 out, has he? Because he's still got a midfielder that's been injured this whole time that I think we would all quite like to see a little bit of before the season's out. Uh, his injury record don't, you know, doesn't bode too well at this point in time, but we'll we'll wait and see on uh, Richards. That is his name, right? I, I get his uh, name. It's Tyler Roberts you're thinking of, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest, it probably is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Dan mentioned, there's some nice partnerships forming there, isn't there, Micah? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Roberts, Willock, Chair is going to be an exciting front for me. I thought Chair probably had um, one of his better games of the season. I know a lot of people were talking about, um, I was going to say his miss, but he, he didn't actually touch the ball, did he? But the, the chance he had at the end where he sort of missed it with his left foot when Armstrong played him in. Um, I do think otherwise he had probably his, his best game of the season. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for those for those three as well. I thought Laird had a, a pretty decent game on the right hand side as well. I thought he was he was getting up and down, and I think um, I think kind of the energy that he's going to provide for us um, it's going to give us a, something a little bit different. I mean, obviously, you kind of know what sort of what sort of kind of chances you're going to create with Roberts, Willick, and Chair, but I think Laird gives us a little bit of a, a different dimension, and he was definitely giving their left back something to to think about on Saturday. Um, so I, you know, it's really a disappointing result. No disrespect to Rotherham, but um, you know, not beating a newly promoted side at home, you're going to be disappointed. But I, I do think there's reasons to be cheerful. Yeah. Um, interesting that you mentioned chair there because he has had this sort of good start to season on paper. If you look at the assists, he's right up there with the top assist um, providers for the league. He's top. He's, joint well, top. joint top with, uh, I know it's early days, but, you know, you'd rather be up the top than down the bottom, wouldn't you? Um, but it's still a weird start to the season because you feel like he hasn't played fantastically well. He didn't really show up in the League Cup. But, you know, looking at a few stats from him, <clears throat> the BBC on their page had him at 2.2 chances created per 90 minutes. And who scored says he makes on average... 2.8 key passes per game both of them put him in the sort of high end of the create you know the creative stats I guess you could call it at this point in the season uh and in fact only Matson, Dean Garner and Jed Wallace average a better key passes per game statistic so you know he's up there doing the doing the job that we kind of want him to I know Dan you've mentioned that he hasn't quite you know you wanted him to see him in the same way that he was playing pre-season and he hasn't quite sort of found himself in those positions or gone as forward, perhaps, as you like. Um, but still been okay, I guess. Yeah, I think, like like Mike said, he had a, um, a better game um, on the weekend. I think he still uh, pops up in the key moments as we saw at um, Sunderland with the goal and the assist. Um, and also, I think he just missed Willock. Um, we saw last season and this uh, bit season before that, that when those two get combining and for the goal on Saturday, um, they could be as lethal as pretty much anyone in the division. So 
I think for for me, Chez more of a a player that needs needs support around him in terms of combination play and that kind of thing, rather than maybe Willock that can take someone on and beat them one v one. But no, I think I think that performance on Saturday from Chair was was definitely promising. Yeah, and let's just briefly talk about something that Micah mentioned there, Rotherham. Um, in comparison to what you know, we've seen them a lot over the last couple of seasons. Yo-Yo in between the Championship and League One, I think a lot of the people are kind of because you know they haven't had a bad start to life this time round. Do you think they've got a better chance of staying up? Um, it's hard to say. I wasn't I wasn't massively impressed by them. I thought I thought what they did when they um once said after the game, he just attacked, tried to attack the sides with um Washington and Ogbeni, and we saw with the 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 lead up to the to the free kick they played a clipboard over the top power was isolated one v one with Ogbeni and he lost the he lost the battle so I think I think in areas they're they're good for this level but I still think they they do lack a bit of quality because a lot of their reliance is on Ogbeni to produce for them and if if he gets marked out of games and I struggle to see where the goals really come from yeah I, I think what say- they've done oh, sorry I think what they've done which might help them this season compared to other seasons is that they've managed to get some points on the board early. Um, in in the last couple of seasons, you kind of see Rotherham, like from from game week one, they're the whipping boys a little bit. But like, I think if you if you'd offered a lot of their fans, you know, one win, three draws, six points from the first five, they would have bitten your hand off. To be fair, so would. Again, you know, like we said earlier, it's, it's it's game week what game week five, fifth game. Um, we really have no idea what the what the table is going to look like yeah. next month, let alone the end of the season. But you know, they, they've got points on the board early, which can only be good for them. Yeah, absolutely. I'd still worry for them, considering they're going to be starting by the looks of it with Washington up top. I didn't even notice that he was playing on Saturday. Um, so you know, did Washington performance at Loftus Road then really? Yep, I just I completely forgot that he was there, and Grant Hall to be honest, I, I couldn't really. I forgot about him as well. I couldn't tell you which they. You could put them in a lineup, and I couldn't tell you right now what they look like anymore. <laughs> I just complete. They just no, I, I no idea if they were actually playing. Or not. I'm sure that wasn't too many Baileys on holiday. Ah, oh, I don't know, mate. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Um, you mentioned uh, Pal. Now he's kind of coming for a bit of criticism on Twitter, as per his standard in these days in QPR. Um, but he's not had the most amazing start to the season. Is this a case? Do you think of him sort of acclimatizing to the league? I know he's playing in the Eredivisie last season, but bear in mind that he was part of a side that got relegated. So you know, we talk. I think when we brought him in we talked about we're not quite sure what the standard is at the bottom end of the Eredivisie compared to the standard of the championship um yeah what what are we thinking on pal so far I think one thing people might have overlooked a little bit is that um obviously much like us last year pal was playing as part of a a back five so so he was a wing back as opposed to sort of a left back and obviously I understand that our um our wing backs or our full backs even get quite forward, but you know, defending in a back five or back three is very different to defending in a back four with two centre backs. 
Um, I think that's where people are kind of judging him because it does feel like sometimes he gets caught. I personally felt like when people blame Kakai for Middlesbrough's second goal um, a couple of weeks, God, it does feel like an age ago. You're right, Alex. A couple of weeks ago, um, I felt that actually came about because Powell got caught between two of his men. Um, and that obviously meant that there's a spare man over and Kakai had to make a decision over who to mark. Um, and there's, there's a couple moments like that where, you know, he's kind of caught between going forward and defending, I feel like. Um, you know, it might be, I might be wrong, but that that's where my criticism with him kind of lies. Um, again, you know, I, I've said it on the pod a couple of times now, you know, wait, wait till like we're at game 10, you know, wait till we've kind of got Amos and Richards and Clark Salter back. Then we'll know a lot better what type of team we are. Yeah. And like, same with, same kind of like with powers of player, you know. Yeah, um, Powell kind of gets caught out, doesn't he? And it's exactly what you said. He kind of gets caught in two minds a little bit on what he should be doing uh, under the high ball. And he, t- you know, he goes to try and win it. But once you go and try and win it, you've got to win it because you know once it went over him, he was he was caught out. And really, you know, it, he made the challenge. It was a bit risky especially with Andy Woolmer as referee. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking, oh, he's going to give a penalty or something like that. He's just going to sort of make it all about him somehow. Um, but yeah, he kind of, he just do wonder at that point whether it was best to see if he could just let the cross come in. Um, but, you know, he tried to make up for it, whatever. Uh, what, what do you think, Dan? Um, I don't know. I just think, I think firstly, the fullback, particularly the left back position, is a pretty demanding role in that system. First off, so he's got to adapt to, to quite a niche system. And I think you look at who he's faced at the start of the season. He played uh, Brereton Diaz on the right a little bit first game. Asaya Jones, he had Josh Bowler against Blackpool, and a lot of the time they were two v one against him all game. Um, and then on Saturday, he had Ogbeni. So I don't think he's had a pretty uh, easy time on that um, left channel so far this season. Uh, I think in that in that for that goal, I think he's at fault. I think he missed missed times the missed times the flight of the ball. But I don't think you really should be um, allowing teams to isolate you one v one, particularly of Bene, as we know he's the the main threat for them. Um, he he hasn't been outstanding uh, in his start, but I don't think he's been particularly bad. I think he's just been a bit adequate, really. And let's look at their goal then um i was quite disappointed with it all you know the way that we gave away the free kick and then again we failed to clear our lines from the corner um i, I remember a couple of i can't remember what goal it was was it the blackpool game ian from west london sport mentioned uh done blocking the ball but failing to clear it and he does it quite a lot and I thought slices his clearances a lot, yeah, yeah. And I kind of thought, I don't know, like I've never noticed that. Let me look into it. And then, like the next game, there's a massive example of it right there in center. Um, th- there you go. Like he's he's made the block, fair enough, but you've got to clear it. And it's actually it's field, isn't it? Who's kind of like who's caught out here as well, isn't it? Was it was it was it field that didn't make the clearance? Yeah. And I, I, I can't remember who did. I think yeah, we got we've got to clear our lines. I think. 
I think the other thing, weird, weird thing that I set up was they were 2v1 at the back post and it wasn't until Roberts dropped um, behind, I think it was Georgie Kelly who got the flick, flick down. Um, he didn't really attempt to go go for the, to win the ball. And then I think it was Willock who was on Ogbeni and he just peeled off his man to, to get the rebound. So I think there's been a few, there's been a few defensive set plays where we've lost our markers 1v1. So I, I don't know whether they, we decide to change our setup slightly because we're struggling to defend defend teams 1v1 then maybe take a bit more of a zonal approach but um, we, we have conceded a, quite a few different defensive set of pieces so far this season It's not necessarily a problem with this goal but I did notice again something we mentioned at the back end of last season I know Dan you've put yourself through personal pain in looking at our corners in quite a bit of detail but the notice that Dickie again they're kind of doing this thing where they're again marking a zone aren't they Dickie the, the big our biggest players aren't actually marking anyone. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago as well. It still doesn't sit right with me. I, don't, I maybe you know, I just don't understand it why we're la- allowing our arguably best headers of the ball, the best aerial defenders, just not mark anyone and just sort of. It just seems to be putting them in a a, a disadvantage rather than actually putting them one on one. I don't mind if you're doing that, but maybe put like Johansson or something like that on the edge of the box, on the edge of the six-yard box, rather than our biggest, tallest, strongest defenders. I don't know, Michael. What do you think? Yeah, do you know what? Just as you were saying that, I was literally just thinking in my head how like <laughs> like how difficult it must be as a manager because you have to have a whole sort of philosophy or whatever to set your team up to play on the pitch, and then you have to have like a whole other kind of philosophy when it comes to set pieces, whether you're going to go zonal or man-to-man. Um, for me, I, I've never really got, like, too caught up on the man-to-man v zonal thing. I know some people feel passionately about going man-to-man. I know, uh, you know, the cool thing nowadays is to do zonal. Uh, I don't really care. I think the the problem for me is more just, like, if you're, if you're like, going to do it, just be organised with it. Just, you know, make sure you are clearing because because I mean that goal doesn't come from like whether we're man to man or not in my opinion it comes from the fact that we just don't clear our lines at all well yeah there's plenty of players around them isn't there yeah so it's, it's like yeah I mean I, I'm, I'm I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it to be honest in terms of going man to man or zonal I just feel like whatever we choose to go with it's been like six months now almost you know if you take out the the two months we've had off for the summer it's been six months of just being like watching set pieces like through the gaps in my fingers because I feel like we're going to concede every time like let's just just sort it out please let's just sort it out and uh, you know what the weird thing about it as well is that it just all of a sudden started becoming a massive problem because like Mm. the first half of last season it wasn't an issue it wasn't an issue I don't I can't remember Dan if you covered this in the article that you did but like why is it why why did it become an issue halfway through last season was it a, a change that you noticed um, or is it just like teams probably have worked us out on corners well i didn't i didn't really cover the first half in detail from the couple we conceded so i don't i don't know exactly <clears throat> in that that extent it was the main theme if i remember rightly was the front post they whether they make a decoy around the front post or get a flick on in the front post 
it seemed to be that. I th- uh, I'm trying to think now. A lot of people thought it was the fact that we didn't have Dieng, but then it never re- really reached the goalkeeper kind of zone. Um, I think we... Who did we have? Was was Dickie out injured at one point last season? Okay. That was like right at the end, though. Yeah. I don't... To be honest, I don't know... I don't really know the ins and outs before what was what was happening. I only really analysed the issues with those ones. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to better things then. Um, the goal. This is exactly what we're talking about earlier. Chair linking up with Willock and then an amazing finish. I, I think looking on the replay as I was watching uh, when I was watching the game, you kind of like it straight away. You go. Oh, what a goal from Willett. That is incredible. But then you look at the replays and you actually realise it's a fantastic finish. But that ball from Chair is fantastic as well. That's like, you know, De Bruyne tried to do a similar pass against Newcastle and got an assist for it. He got a bit lucky with deflection, but it was just a lovely change of direction, sending work through. It was perfect. He's exactly KDB's what you want. as good as Chair. Is that what you're saying, Alex? Mm, no, because I won't say that because I know that we've got uh, part of the ginger union in this podcast and he'll get angry at that. Um, <laughs> I, the, didn't, sorry, I didn't hear what was said there. You, you didn't you'll hear it. Don't right. worry, you'll hear it's, it back. It's fine. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. Um, Kevin De Bruyne needs to look at chair and, and improve his game, obviously. Um, but it, it was a fantastic goal, goal all round from the two of them, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll go, go ahead, Dan. No, no, sorry. Sorry. Oh, I'll go. Um, One of you, please <laughs> speak. Um, no, it was a very, it was, it was a good goal. Um, like you said, the ball from Chair. I mean, it's it's what Chair and Willett do together when they're when they're uh, both fit and um, they're, they're pretty much firing each game really. Um, and then I think I think the uh, the positioning from Chair also when he drags out Grant Hall for the space as well was quite clever, but. Um, the ball was good, and then Willock, I believe he comes inside. Uh, he, he delays the shot and then comes inside, and then uh, finishes the bottom bottom left corner. So, no, it was a good good goal, and uh, we needed that to to kind of spark some momentum. Yeah, and uh, last but not least, let's uh, move on to the debate that rages on. Actually, I think the 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 narrative slightly shifted after this last game. There seem to be a few more people saying maybe Armstrong isn't ready. Um, that's certainly what I've been feeling for quite a while. This is a becoming a bit... It will be a bit of a problem as we go forward through the season. If Bond is going to be leaving, as I think, Micah, you suggested the other day in our group chat, that Bond probably has to leave for us to bring a new striker in which is a very frustrating situation and it's something we'll get onto when we cover Watford. Don't you worry about that. Um, but, you know, we've got Armstrong and Dykes. Dykes is a, in this period of, I guess, low confidence, just not really, nothing's quite working for him. And when I say period, it's only been like three games ago since he scored. Um, but such is the attitude and perhaps overreaction at times that, you know, it feels like it's been three months. Uh, Armstrong as well, he's played a lot of minutes and unfortunately for him, hasn't scored yet after having, you know, sort of a similar amount of presentable chances. 
both of them for different reasons not scoring but I don't know like maybe we should ease the pressure off both of them maybe we shouldn't be slagging off both of them maybe we shouldn't be sort of predicting one of them as the next coming of Christ Micah what do you think um yeah I can't say I agree with everything you said there Alex I think I I wouldn't say uh Armstrong's had quite as many uh good chances as Dykes has had I I personally think that although the criticism gets overboard with Dykes I think he's he should be sitting on more than one goal this season um I think to be fair on Saturday the chance he had uh was the mark of a player lacking a bit of confidence in that my dad said it best, actually. So at Blackpool, we had that chance where, like, he held on to the ball a bit too long and then Roberts sort of took it off him and shot. Um, and then we kind of had the reverse with Rotherham where he probably had a little bit more time than he thought he did um, and takes it first time when he probably could have got away with taking a touch. Um, for me, um, it, it, it's not really a debate. I think um, Armstrong isn't ready to start. Um, I don't think I don't think anyone will or should be starting over Dykes just yet, to be honest with you. But I don't think we can sit here and pretend that um, Dykes is doing as well as he can. No, he's, no, no. he's he, not. He, he's not. It's it's as simple as that. He, he does need to pull his finger out, and it's it's um it's similar to what I said last week. Like you know. The crowd at QPR can be really volatile, and and part of that is because we've we've had such good goal scorers down the years. Um, so I, I, and yeah, for like, some we've had like one in the last ten. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be fair, but I mean, you know, a lot of our fan base are of a certain age that so they remember, you know, the Bradley Allens and the Les Ferdinands of the world, and obviously, you know, you get onto Paul Furlong in the early noughties. So, um. So I can get that it could be tough, especially for somebody that what's Livington's Livingston's average attendance, like eight thousand. Like it's it's not really it's not really comparable to I know we we don't have a massive stadium, but it's not really comparable. So I, I, I get that like ten thousand roughly would make a difference, wouldn't it? The extra that's kind of the yeah, difference, for sure. isn't it? For sure, for sure. And you've got to remember his first season with us, he, he didn't play in front of any crowd at all. Like he, he was playing in front of empty seats. So you know. It, it's a bit easier after you, after you miss a chance to sort of tell yourself, all right, I'm going to score the next one, when you don't have you know eighteen thousand people groaning. Um, but you know, the one thing that I saw on Twitter about it, someone said, uh, if I can't remember who he said instead of Dykes, I think it might have been Austin or something like that. Said it, Austin would have scored Dykes' chance, and Dykes would have scored uh, Armstrong's chance. And like, I think, well, I mean, yeah, Austin scores that like seven years ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Seven not, years. not now, not now. That's what I think the important, the, the thing about that comparison that's correct is possibly the Armstrong slash Dykes one, because Dykes is definitely the sort of player that just likes to whack it and sort of put Wait. every bit of power behind it. Oh, the oh, do you know what? I know which one you're referring to, the Armstrong one at the end where he yeah. side footed it with his right and he probably should have gone with his left. Yeah, like, and, and just just like power it, uh, you know, finesse isn't quite Dykes's game. We see that in his penalties and stuff like that. He just likes to hit it as hard as possible. And when he does, like, there's been a couple of times. Was it, there was a he had a really good chance against uh, Middlesbrough, I think it was, 
where he hit it kind of on the volley-ish and it kind of it flew and it was a good save by Stefan. And then it, again, last season against Reading, he had a really good chance, a volley that kind of came out of nowhere and it looked like it was going in. But I think, again, it was another really good save. And he's, I think that's kind of what he likes to sort of or would prefer to be able to do. And he kind of, again, like possibly the way he took it, I wouldn't have, I didn't think it was the worst technique to go for it, but he just didn't catch all of it. If he just, you know, it, I just like to see him have a chance where he could put his foot behind the ball and just absolutely leather it and see what happens. So I feel like that's kind of his, his game a bit more. I mean, I mean, yeah, but you know, he, he had a couple where he could have just levered yeah. it against Blackpool. I, I, the thing maybe, maybe, is, maybe then let me say that I'd like to see him just do it rather than like the chart have a chance, you know, like just actually go and whack it and see what happens. Because if you get it on target, you're less, you know, the keeper's got to make a really good save. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, Dykes in full flow, like the second half of um the 2020-21 season, and sort of the start part of last season, Dykes in full flow, like, you you know he's just going to smash it. Dykes, when he's kind of just in a spell like he is at the moment, where he looks like he's lacking confidence, you just kind of don't know what to expect from him in the, in the 18-yard box. Um, I think I think the fact, I think the fact of the matter is, and um, I'm going to touch on this in a piece I'm writing at the moment, is that he is our number nine. He's going to be our number nine this season. Realistically, we we have no choice but to get behind him. There's no point everyone just writing him off, saying that he's rubbish because he's gonna he's gonna be our striker for the season. We we've yeah. got no choice in that. Um, so we have to get behind him because you know, in two two and a half nearly seasons, what he's shown us is that when he's confident, he's a good striker. He's a confidence player. So you know, we have to try and get behind him in that sense. I can agree with you more. Support your players. It shouldn't be that hard, should it? Um, Dan, you're uh, a 2P on the issue. I don't know. You haven't been able with, to say much. In terms of in terms of Armstrong, I think it's just, it'll come with time. I think the main thing for me is decision-making. I think he's had about five opportunities you think of the Blackburn one when he came off the bench and he didn't really go for it. Um, the Sunderland one where he probably could have squared it to Dykes. And then you had the the two or the header on Tuesday night against Blackpool, but he might have been offside. And then, like Micah said, he probably should have, one of them, let it roll across his body and hit with his left foot. And um, I think the other one was the cross from Adoma. So he's had chances, but obviously he's a young he's a young player. Um he played in the non-league last season, so it will take time. But um, decision making for me is the the main one that he needs to kind of improve on in time. Uh, so now we're moving on to the next game on Saturday, away at Watford. Uh, some people are talking this up as our first big challenge so far. So um, looking at Watford. What are we thinking about this game? Are we nervous? I am now that Sar isn't leaving. Um, well, that's one of my points taken. Thanks, Sar. Um, sorry, pretend I didn't say that. I mean, you know, you, you never quite know. I, I guess we'll touch on that now. They've got some pretty topsy-turvy sort of transfer moments. I guess Sar probably will feature at the weekend, but Newcastle have 
had a bid accepted for Jao Pedro. Um, mm. According to Fabrizio, he's on his way there. So, like, he probably won't be involved, uh, I'd imagine, on Saturday unless something goes wrong there. But, you know, this is a side that's come back down. They, We all know what they're like, their managers. They go up and they come back down. Last season, when they went up, they weren't the most amazing side. Um apparently with all these amazing players and they never really kind of they just don't seem to do anything they never actually seem to be as good as say like you know like Fulham last season were clearly a cut above everyone else you don't actually see that from Watford and I think that's kind of been reflected again in the in their results so far they've only scored one goal at the most in every game I know they've had some difficult fixtures but it kind of it seems like we're going to get the same thing from them again they'll go up but they're not remarkable well, their start of the season has been quite interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, they've got three draws uh, and two wins, but you would say the two wins are against, you know, two of like a lot of people's picks to be in and around the top six in, yeah. in Burnley and um, in Sheffield United. And then obviously, you know, Preston's a tough place to go, in fairness, and um, drawing with Birmingham uh, and Watford. So drawing with Birmingham and West Brom. You'd say you'd expect them to win the three that they drew, and you'd probably expect them to draw the two that they'd win. So I'm not quite sure what to expect from Watford. I think a part of that might be that uncertainty with the squad. Obviously, they don't know who's staying, who's going at the start of this, at the start, at the end of last week. Sorry, it looked like Saar was off at the start of this week. It looks like he's not. You know, people weren't sure what's going to happen with Pedro. Like you said, he's on his way to Newcastle. So I think. If there's, if there's probably a good time to play Watford, I'm not trying to jinx this at all, it would probably be, you know, four days before the before the window shuts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan, what do you sort of... Do you see them getting promoted come the end of the season? Um, I think I think they'll be up there. I think, what, they've, they're going to have a lot of money from the Dennis and Pedro sales, so... I'd imagine they'll probably spend that um, late into the window. I think I think they've still got quality. Um, they brought in Hamza Chowdhury on loan, who looked quite bright a few games ago. Um, Backman's a decent keeper for the level, um, and they got some some young. I think he's I think he's Colombian. Um, Asprila, his name is. I saw a, I saw a, um, some moments of the Preston game, and he just he looked a cut above uh, in that game. Just. The, the vision, the technique, the passing range. I think if there's anyone that we need to look look out for, it'll probably be him because can't really afford to give him much time and space on the ball. But did he go man- off or did I imagine what's, that? What's that? Sorry, did he go off injured or did I imagine that? I don't. I I don't know. Um, I didn't. I didn't notice that. But it's a new manager. Um, like Mike has said, obviously, um, people leaving, so it's it's quite a weird squad at the minute. So I think it will take time with them, but um, they've got some decent results against some decent opposition. Yeah, uh, Hamza Chowdhury obviously is a pretty decent signing. Um, and then also uh, Keenan Davis on loan from... Is he on loan? I assume he's on loan. Yeah, I think Forest. so. Um, you know, he played in the playoffs for them last season and played a, quite a lot for them at the back end of last year. Um, I had a look at his record for Forest and... He scored a few goals, but they were all scored against Reading, Birmingham, Barnsley and Cardiff. So, like, you've got 
and he scored a brace against Reading. So you've got four of probably the worst teams to play in the championship last season. That's the ones he's scoring against. Again, don't want to jinx it, but sort of like you look at that and think he might be a good striker eventually, but maybe not sort of, I don't know, right now. He is 24 though, so you've got to start scoring goals at some point. Um, we've already mentioned transfers, and this is something I think will be brought up a hell of a lot in the build-up to the game. Obviously, with us sort of scrapping everything together, selling players like Bond to sort of fund a transfer for another striker and, you know, sort of digging deep behind the couch to find cash for Laird, as Micah suggested earlier on in the podcast, because Watford have sold uh, Kamara, Hansa Kamara, uh, to Udinese for £16 And then he's been loaned straight back to them. Now, on the face of that, you might think, what's really the problem there? They've sold a player for a a fee and they've come, he's come straight back on loan. Well, it's interesting because one, there's no option for him to be recalled this season by Udinese. And two, the Pozzo family own both Udinese and Watford. Now, obviously, we have to be careful what we say here. And it is the case that it's two separate owners, it's not the same owner. It's uh, a father and son that own the two different clubs. But this is distasteful, let's say, isn't it, Micah? Uh, Yeah, I've been told I'm not allowed to use the C word, so I'm going to call it morally ambiguous (laughs) at best. Um, It doesn't sit well with me uh, at all. Um, The same way when clubs were selling their stadium to their owners, it didn't sit well with me at all, but this feels worse almost to me. Uh, and it feels like it could set quite a dangerous precedent in football when you think about, you know, the City group and other clubs that are kind of owned by uh, families. For those that can't um, see what I'm doing, I'm doing air quotes because I'm not sure if it's owned by the families or the families are just saying that they own it but that's another thing entirely it definitely doesn't sit well with me yeah I mean the thing is with City Group isn't it that they got like nine different clubs around the world and they kind of use those other eight clubs as a breeding ground for Man City players Um, Mm. which you know isn't necessarily that's not really illegal because they're essentially just having they, they all own the clubs don't they it's, a, it's in a sense just having affiliate clubs that you have a hand in. Um, Chelsea seem to do it with half of the Eredivisie and their lone army. So, like, you know, that's kind of the more well-known way of doing this. This is more, though, it feels like a sort of a way to get around some FFP rules. They basically sold him off so that they can... He isn't really, I mean, he's on the books, obviously. He's not like he's getting paid cash in hand, but like he's on the books, but he's kind of not. I'm not, obviously, as you can probably tell, I am not technically uh, minded towards economics at all. So I've got no idea really what I'm talking about. But Dan, it just doesn't, this whole thing just feels so frustrating when we've got our club trying to be responsible much to the sort of anger and frustration of most of its fan base 
Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. And I mean, it seems as though that that they've kind of done it to help the cash flow at Watford. Um, I think the example about the City group, uh, City did something similar with um, Aaron Moy. Uh, they got him from one of their City clubs for free, uh, loaned him to Huddersfield and then got 10 mil from it. So they've done they've done sim- sim- similar, not this quite the same, but um, clubs have done it before. And uh, I saw Kira Maguire on Twitter, who's known for the price of football pod said it is actually um it's legal but it, like Micah said it's not um it's not really morally right um and then when you've got us that can't really sign a player until we till we sell one um it kind of does show the the issues with the financial stuff in the championship with the power payments and, and stuff like that what we got to compete with yeah um let's move away from that then Dan, what do you think of the new manager for them, Rob Edwards? Do you quite like what you've seen so far? Uh, admittedly, I haven't seen much of Watford. I've seen I've seen bits and pieces. Um, obviously, he had a good um, good pedigree with Forest Green at League Two level. Um, he was well known for developing and producing Kane Wilson, who's now Bristol City. Um, I think I think he's a decent manager from from the bits I've seen of him in League Two and, and this year. Um, it's just whether moving from a, a club in League Two to to Watford, who are quite full of or full of international players, whether he can manage the dressing room and get everyone on board, really, as well as um, adding in his philosophy. So it'd be interesting to see how it pans out across the season. But he seems to be doing all right so far. And um, their kind of style of play, what are we expecting from them? More possession based. Uh, it'd be a, normally it's a three-five-two, but he did play a four-three-three in one of the games. I think I can't remember what one it was. Um, so I'd imagine they'd have more of the ball in this game, and uh, we'll just try and sit off, um, be quite compact, and try and hit them on the break. Really. Uh, so let's kind of look now at what we can do then, because there's problems there with us at the moment. We're not quite fitting. We're not quite flowing as much as we'd like to. So, Micah, when you look at us, um, what would you, what do we need to do over the next couple of games to improve? Um, yeah, it's just a bit of fluidity. I think it's it's going to come with time. I, I'm fairly confident that the our season won't be these five games, if you know what I mean. I'm fairly confident that, you know, we will get Dyke scoring or Armstrong or Bond or whoever's up front. For me, it's the fact that we are creating the chances. If we weren't creating the chances with the creative players we have in our team, then I'd be really worried. Um, we we haven't, we, you could say arguably we haven't put our best team out yet. Um, you could say arguably our bench looks weak every week because of the injuries that we have. Um, you know, the sort of not reliance on Amos but I think what Amos kind of brings to our midfield um we are really kind of going to understand that once he's back um and again yes it's about getting those wing backs in full flow like I said I thought Laird was pretty good on Saturday but you know that there's still another level to come from him I think once we get that level out of him I think we're gonna we're gonna be um really really good team going forward um just just fluidity, you know, like just just get to game 10, get to game 15, um, see where we are. I think that there's no point panicking at this stage. I know it's, it's a cliche at this point now, the Forest were bottom in October. And I know if you look at the 
context of it, they they weren't really bottom. They kind of had played one less game or whatever it was. But the fact of the matter is they weren't anywhere near playoffs, you know. Um, championship's a weird league. And I, to be fair, the players and Mick Bill have said it. It's about getting to March and being in contention. If we get to March and we're in the top eight, um, you know, we, we, we're we giving ourselves a really good chance. Yeah, you've also got to remember this is a pretty unique season where we're going to stop and start again with a pretty big window. Uh, Which I think will help us, weirdly. Yeah. Because... I feel like if we get to there and we have, like, everyone back, I know you're probably going to have Chair and Senny going off to do their World Cup commitments. But yeah, once, but if you, you look know, at it, Chair yeah. and Senny, they got full pre-seasons, didn't they? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of knowing and understanding the system, they've probably got a better idea of it than Roberts, Amos, um, Richards, uh, whoever else. So, you know, you give them that four weeks that they didn't have at the start. Oh, Roberts is going to be going away probably as well, isn't he? Oh, for Wales, it, well, we'll see. We'll see if he gets picked. I'm sure, I'm sure he's got a good chance of getting picked, to be yeah. fair, but... Um, but I think that I think that might benefit us actually those four weeks off. Dan, would you echo what Mike has been saying about once we get going, we'll be all right? Yeah, I think so. I think I think the only minor thing I'd like to see us be better in is um on, on the counter, really. I don't I think a lot of our games have been quite end to end. I don't think we've actually scored a goal off the counter. Mm. Um and it's particularly in the Watford game where they if they're gonna have a lot of the ball. Um, Chair Willett Roberts, if they're all fit and starting, uh, which I think they are, um, yeah, we need to take our chances really because they, those three can be frightening on the break. So that'll be the only real uh, minor thing for me. Let's move on to then the next game uh, against Hull, and they've got a bit of a revolution going on there with a big bit of money coming in um, and a very respectable start to the season. Wins against Bristol City and Norwich. Um, and then, I mean, the Norwich win is obviously a very good one, even though it's early days in the season. Uh, and then they also got a very good draw against Burnley and a draw against Preston as well. So this is not the hull that we saw come to us at the start of last season, is it? Mm. No, it's not. I mean, uh, to be honest, well, I think when um, when we played them at our, our ground last year, I think I said... Um, I was a bit surprised they sat Grant McCann. It looks like it was the right decision in the end. Um, I wasn't so keen on Hull towards the back end of last season. Obviously, they didn't have a bunch of new signings for him to, him to work with, but I wasn't like fully impressed with him. But from the results, like you say, they look to um, they look to have changed a little bit. I think with the, with the spending, with the money spent, um, that always helps when you add quality. Um, but they've they've got some good results. I think they beat Norwich two one, didn't they? And then they drew to Burnley, like you say. So um, no, some good results from them. But they did get beat five two by West Brom, which on paper looks like a sort of obviously it is a thrashing. Um, but I had a look at the highlights, and there's a lot of those, a lot of those goals from West Brom were long range efforts that managed to find the back of the net. So you could you you know. <sighs> you look at that in sort of like XG terms, what's the chances of those going in normally less likely than sort of your more average goal. So they, you could possibly say they were unlucky in that. And then also one of the goals was an own goal as well. So 
you're looking at it and then kind of like maybe on the XG, it's more sort of like a, it's more of an even game. You've just had sort of a couple of freak moments which have counted against you. But regardless of that, they have lost 5-2 to West Brom and they've got to bounce back from that. Um, they are obviously going to play before our game. But you kind of, I look at, I kind of thought this with Sunderland, they had such a great start to the season. And then they, you know, I kind of thought if we get something out of the Sunderland game, then they might start a little bit of a wobble. We go and equalise in the last minute with our goalkeeper. Uh, and since then, I don't think they've been, you know, quite as, uh, I mean, they beat Stoke, didn't they? But they lost to Sheffield United. So, you know, it's all about how you bounce back to these results and those setbacks. Um mm. So that's something that they've obviously got to do. They've made plenty of signings as well, but one that really grabs my attention is uh, Seri from Fulham, which, you know, considering the noise that was made when Fulham signed him a couple of seasons ago, he was supposedly linked with a lot better clubs than Fulham. The fact that he's at Hull now is... It's bizarre to me. Like It's just kind of... It, it seems very strange that this is kind of how it's panned out for him. But any other sort money, of money talks well you know mate it's got to talk loudly the guy was in the south of france a couple of years ago now he lives in hull <laughs> the money must be screaming <laughs> that's be really screaming yeah um fair enough but yeah like they've obviously made quite a bit of uh quite a bit of signings what what do we think of the makeup of their squad it's interesting isn't it you 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 don't really associate hull with no offence, I keep uh, ragging on the city of Hull, I hope, you know, not that I would ever go there, but I hope they don't hear this um, but you look at some of the signings they made, obviously Seri, you know, somebody that was linked with Barcelona a couple of years ago, the one I like, or the one that I'll be looking to see how um, Dickie and Dunn deal with him um, can't say his surname, but the Colombian guy up front, first name Oscar, cannot say his surname Estepian Estepian I, I have no idea. I have no idea how to pronounce it. But the guy looks... He got this scored two against Hull. Um, and I think he no, got he both scored, from... He scored two for Hull. Sorry, scored two for Hull against Norwich. That's what I meant. He scored two against Norwich. And I think he got two... Against West Brom as well. West Brom, yeah. So he, both his goals have come against, you know, teams that were in the Premier League a season or two seasons ago. So... um. And, you know, he's, he's quite tall. He's, I think he's around six foot as well, you know, or at least he looks it anyway. Um, he's kind of like that that um, sort of archetypal championship striker you think of, you know, tall, uh, decent decent with his feet, scores goals type of, you know, the, if you can make a championship striker in a lab type thing. So I'll be interested to see, you know, if he is the real deal, if it's a little bit of a purple patch, um, and I'm interested to see how our um, centre-backs do up against him. Absolutely, because I look again, like I said, I looked at the highlights and he scores those two goals. I think it's the second one in particular that I was kind of set off warning signs because he just kind of bulldozed his way through the West Brom defence. They were holding him back, they did everything, and he still managed mm. to get a shot away and it flies into the back of the net. He looks strong, and he looks like he's got a decent bit of pace on him as well. So that, like you said, is going to be a very interesting challenge for Dickie and Dunn. Dan, have you got any other sort of insight on Hull, any other threats that we might be looking out for? 
Uh, I really like Jacob Greaves, their centre-back. Um, he's been there a few years. I think he came through their academy. Um, Left-footed, ball-playing centre-half, quite mobile. Um, I also like Ryan Woods, who they brought him. Um, mm. I feel like everywhere he's gone, he's kind of done a, a decent job. I think I remember him in the mill when he was on loan at Mill when we beat them 3-2 in the comeback. That first half where they went two up, I thought he was unplayable. Um, so yeah, he's, I think I, if... Ryan Woods is one of these midfielders that obviously isn't going to get any higher than the championship, but you probably don't get much better than him in the championship. Yeah, 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 I'd agree with that. Um, I also saw that that Tete, then their new signing as well. He looked he looked quite um, quite a good profile for the division. I think him and uh, Stupin, yeah, I, I can't even know how to say his name properly. Um, they linked up well, so they've got they've definitely got threats. Um, so it should be it should be an interesting game, but it's it's a, a game away after the weekend, so things could change. Yeah, and by then we could have a new striker. What do we make of these conversations Bill has been having with Aston Villa? Is this false hope? Is this a is this unfair on us, or is this something that we can realistically get excited about? Because he hasn't specified who he's calling and texting Gerard and all the other coaches about, but it sounds like he's pestering them for someone. It doesn't um, matter, Alex. Everybody's decided who they think it is. And if and when it's not that person, there's going to be a complete meltdown. Well, the thing is, is that he was meant to be going out on loan because someone else was coming in. But that mm. person is now no longer coming in. Let's just feel, let's stop the, of the sort of like jumping around the fact Cameron Archer, of course, is the name that we want in. When I say we, I say majority of the fan base. Whether that's realistic or not is something else entirely. And the other player that was meant to go the other way was Saar. Now, we've already talked about the fact that Saar, I think it was even before he got to the medical, Gerard changed his mind, apparently, uh, and just doesn't want him anymore. And it kind of is weird because in this sort of modern age where every transfer is thought out, it's he's been scouted, you know, that usually someone in the club, where it be a director of football or a manager, has probably watched a lot of them and thought, that is someone that's going to improve my side. For the manager to turn around before he's even turned up at the club and say, I don't want him anymore, that is bizarre, isn't it? Mm. And I know it's not quite QPR topic, but it's proper bizarre, and I, I just thought it was really interesting. But anyway, Saar is not going to Villa now. The yeah. why why would why would this even come up if this isn't going to come to, come to something, you know? What why what's the point of bringing this up at this point? The um the the villa thing or the Beale yeah the Beale chat into every coach that Villa have trying to get a player. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my dad a bit about this yesterday. Um, one thing I like about Mick Bill is that. I think his press conferences are a lot more interesting than Warburton's. Definitely a million times more interesting than um, McLaren's. Um, not quite as interesting as Holloway's for different reasons. Um, we don't but, want it to um, be that interesting, though, do we? No, do we it, want never, it, to... <laughs> it, never, it never needs to be that interesting. Um, but one thing, and I think, you know, he's, it's his first job, right? He's, he's five games in. Like, this isn't a criticism, but this is a learning curve for him. I do think sometimes he's a little bit naive in what he says. Um, I think he's trying to give the fans 
as much transparency as he can. Um, but there, there, there is times where it goes a bit too far. So, so one thing I think he did without even meaning to is when he spoke about the Dykes chance against Blackpool, he was like, oh, we have to be scoring that, which true, but, you know, it's probably not the best thing to kind of put pressure on your striker like that when he is your only striker. But again, learning curve. This is another one of those things that I feel like didn't need to be said. Um, I get it. You're on talk sport. You want to give them something to sink their teeth into. Because there's nothing concrete, is there? But no. by saying, oh, I've been, by saying, oh, no, I've been speaking to Steven Gerrard about um, some Aston Villa players. It's like, oh, okay, I could go to the club and speak to the prettiest girl there. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, she's coming <laughs> home. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> sorry, a bit of a crass analogy, but it's it's like, what 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 am I supposed to do with this information, Mick? Like, am am I now supposed to go on Twitter and see at QPR forever say, oh, we're getting Archer, we're going up? Because now, in when does the window shut? In a week's time, when the window shuts in a week's time, and let's say Cameron Archer isn't here, and everybody's getting on Dyke's back, everybody's getting on Armstrong's back, everyone's getting on Bond's back because we thought Cameron Archer was coming in and we got our hopes up you just sort of just shot yourself in the foot. So I'm not criticising him at all. He's, he's, he's a new manager and he's he's learning it, but I just wouldn't have said anything. If it was yeah. Me. I just thought at this point, what's the point of maybe doing that interview as well? Like kind of. Yeah. It's like... He's got the job. Do we need to be going on talk sport at this point? We've kind of, nothing's happened yet, has it? Nothing's happened. I, I assumed that he was talking to his old club about bringing in talented youngsters on loan because Villa have a lot. Like I, I already assumed that. You know, yeah. If there's you no, we assumed that, and then like it's not proven so far to be a profitable route, and we've yeah. kind of all let ourselves down over that because we kind of all hoped at the start that he would be getting someone in from Villa. You know, mm-hmm. but he's to be fair to him, he's used his knowledge of. Uh, you know, I guess under 14s football, which he watched 10,000 years ago, whatever it was, <laughs> that, you know, that he's brought in all these players that we, you know, I think all of us have looked at the transfer window so far and thought, yeah, it's quite a good move from us. But I just don't think there needs to be like this. And like you said, um, another example of him sort of saying a bit too much in his interviews is when he mentioned about Willock not being in the squad or something like that. And, it, mm. and he was he had to backtrack on that, I think, quite quickly after kind of everyone just went, no, Willock, how can we yeah. lose Willock at this point? Like, he was never going to be involved in the Charlton game and it was kind of like a bit more of a plan. But he's kind yeah. of like, what's the point of saying that? You know, let's just sort of wait. We don't need to know everything. We, I, we... Get, I get it. Like, he, he, I appreciate the transparency because a lot of managers, especially in the Premier League, they just give you the blandest post-match interviews ever and I, I enjoy most of it I feel like I learn something about the game every time I watch one of his press conferences but he's he's got to find that balance I think of you know being interesting and not saying too much yep Dan just before we go is there anything that you would like transfer wise for us to bring in uh, probably a striker in an ideal world um and I suppose, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get a left-back cover, but 
there, there was talk about that a few weeks ago with Powell being injured. So I suppose those are the real two positions that if we strengthen anywhere, it'd be those two. But I can't see us really doing much more now, to be honest. Okay, so uh, on that, we'll bring this podcast to an end. And this is our small segment for some uh, article plug-in. So I think, Dan, you've obviously got an article out now with, via Loft for Words, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be um, going to be writing uh, some pieces for, for Clive across the season. Um, He's big time that- now. <laughs> oh, He's leaving us um, in the mud. <laughs> Uh, they're going to be basically what I did on my blog. So just tactical, not tactical match reviews, but more like tactical, like topics and um, and stuff like that. So the first one basically on what what Bill's kind of implemented and changed since uh, Wolverton was at the club. So if you want to go check that out, you can do it. Yep. And congratulations to you for getting on there, moving on to bigger and better things beyond our generation. <laughs> Micah? <laughs> This, uh, as as well, I'm sure you'll know, uh, last week in the, what game just went, we literally just talked about it. What was Rotherham. it? Rotherham. In the Rotherham programme, we would have found an, a column from Dan in the Blackpool. Yes, Blackpool programme, you would have found a column from me. Uh, and if you go back to the other columns, uh, programmes throughout this season, you would have found columns from other Our Generation writers currently not on this podcast so they won't be named um <laughs> but we're the five of us all five, all three of us here and two the two others from our generation ben summer and sam taylor we're all sharing a column in the qpl matchday program this year and the next one is none other than micah chudley so micah can you just give the guy the listeners a little synopsis of what you're going to be putting in the hull matchday program yeah, so if we if we don't get spanked by Watford and everyone's not depressed, they will be able to come to QPRV Hall. I'm just really, I'm not really going to do anything too groundbreaking. I'm just kind of going to touch on a couple of the things that I think um, Mick, Mick Bill said in the week. I don't know if anybody caught it on TalkSport, but he did say that um, now the players are going to be wearing suits to games, um, going to be eating pre-match meals together, um, so I'm really just going to just talk about, you know, like the the standards of a Premier League club off the pitch and how they translate onto the pitch. And I'm going to just touch a little bit on how, you know, just 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 little tweaks and changes off the pitch can really make a difference to a football team on the pitch. So nothing, nothing groundbreaking. Yeah, but it sounds an interesting angle to come from. I think that's kind of... Uh the route we're all going to go down with the programs this year they're not going to be I mean they're only a limited amount of words but they're going to be hopefully fun little pieces of mm. information for you guys to digest and read prior or post match also the thing to mention about the podcast about the program is that we do have to get it in quite early so like sometimes we may if it may feel like we're not reading the room that's because we probably wrote it before a win like <laughs> yeah so i've actually just sent i've actually just sent mine off and i've been i was told specifically not to mention anything about the watford game so if we win 7-0 when i'm talking about we still need time to like settle in as a team i apologize we don't <laughs> we're the best team in the league there's a little view behind the curtain for you all. Um, so apart from that, I don't think there's anything else that we need to plug, is there? I uh, don't think so. No? no, I don't think so. 
Fantastic. So oh, Ben you. Ben dropped something on um on our gen quite recently. That's correct. Ben put something out about being optimistic and why hopefully it will all come together in the end. So that is on our generation net. Uh, because some of us aren't yet good enough to move over to Loft for Words. So thank you very much for listening. Uh this has been another our generation podcast. Thank you to Dan and Micah for coming on. Uh until next time, come on you ask.